Thank you guys. It's an honor to be with you, especially in this really tough week. My heart's been broken along with yours. But we serve a God that's so good, there's nothing that ever happens, no matter how bad or evil is, that God can't put his hand on and make it become good. We're believing that for your nation and that for Christ Church and all people. Hey, before you're seated, would you turn to someone and with a big smile on your face, tell them Jesus loves you like crazy. Would you tell them that? Would you tell your pastors this morning how much you love? Pastor Sam's not here, but we're sending love to him. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Kathy, Pastor Sam. Man, oh man, I, I just want to, it's always been my dream to be on the same stage where Abba once was. So, uh, yeah, I was in the dressing room. Their, their picture was in there. So I'm going to put my picture next to theirs. A little tiny picture. But. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to share some really good news. The, the really exciting news, I know you can't wait for this, is um, I had two more grandchildren since I saw you last time. So my, yeah. So I went from having the Fab Five, now I have the Super Seven. And I want to show you, there's the uh, two, they're two little girls, they're a month apart, and uh, they're eight and seven months now. It's Rose on the left and Dakota on the right, and that was uh, two weeks ago at church when they were both there, and uh, having so much fun with both of them. Little Dakota on the right there, she sits through the whole service, my wife holds her, she just stares, it's so hard to concentrate when she's looking at me, just want to quit preaching, go over there and just kiss her little fat cheeks. And uh, Rose on the left there, I would tell you the Rose story. So Rose um, was born in uh, June of uh, last summer for us, I guess your, your winter. And she, my, my son and daughter-in-law live in, in uh, California. The rest of our kids live in Phoenix, but Tim and Melissa live in uh, Laguna Beach, uh, California. And they had, had her at, uh, at the Newport Beach Hospital, Hogue Hospital. She was born in the afternoon, and they didn't, they didn't find out what sex the baby was, so it was kind of exciting. She was a little girl, and so I came into the room, and my son said, Dad, we had a little girl. Her, her, her name is Rose Moon Maiden, and I said, what? I got the first one, the last one. I think I misunderstood. He said, her name's Rose Moon Maiden, and so for the next half an hour or so, I gently tried to persuade my son about alternative middle names. Have you considered other names that maybe are less uh, controversial or less, I was trying to picture a little Rose Moon in grade school telling her friends her middle name. And uh, he said, no, Dad, I love her to the moon and back. And so my son is a musician and he's, just, he's an artist and he's eccentric and so, and, and prophetic. He said, okay, okay, I'll get used to it. I love her enough to accept whatever you call her. And uh, so she was born in the afternoon that evening um, what we had, we were in the seventh floor with a window view looking out over the Pacific Ocean. It was a clear night. It was a full moon. The moon's just glistening across the waves. It was just incredible. It was breathtaking, actually. And uh, the nurse came in and said, hey, did you guys know it's a full moon? It's a harvest moon in America, we call it. But in Europe, they call it the rose moon. So then I got slain in Holy Spirit. And I had to repent. Dear Jesus, forgive me for almost... Messing up my grandbaby's prophetic name. So Rose Moon was born on a Rose Moon. And uh, I too love her to the moon and back. That's the way it is. 
I had a, a date with the Fab Five. The older five grandkids are between 8 and 13. And just before I came here, I took them on a, a date with Poppy, something we've been doing for years. So we went to the video arcade. That's now their favorite thing to do. And so we go to this place where they can play video games, you know, this really elaborate, cool games. And so my wife has given me a very specific budget. And so about uh, two hours into the day, I had to call my wife and said, sweetheart, I've gone over budget. It's amazing how expensive these video games are. And you know me, I can't say no to my grandkids. So they just kept hitting me up for more money. And after I hit about $200, I had to call the, the banker and say, be prepared for a financial deficit. And then we uh, went out to dinner. We had hot cocoa at Starbucks, uh, which is an inferior coffee place in America. And then we went to a movie. And then eight and a half hours later, I collapsed in my bed, very happy. And my, I was so happy I didn't fall asleep during the movie. That was the big accomplishment for me. But I uh, have uh, so enjoyed being a grandfather. Man, if I would have known grandfather being a grandparent was this good. I would have skipped the kids and gone right for the grandkids. It's like the best thing ever. It's been a joy to be in your country uh, this uh, past week. We were in Dunedin and in Christchurch and Napier and Wellington or Hut, Hut something. And uh, then here with you, it's a great honor to be with you guys. And especially it's to serve the Equippers family. What a amazing group of leaders and congregations you are. I felt like the Lord gave me a little word for us in this moment in the life of Equippers. We, I'm honored to speak to all the other Equippers campuses today. God bless all of you guys that are watching from wherever in the country. And uh, my title is Compassion Heals Nations. Compassion Heals Nations. A text will be John, excuse me, Luke chapter 10. You guys will know this story. This is a famous parable that Christ brought us, teaching us about the dynamics of the kingdom. And I want to talk about how I believe that they, I believe that God has positioned equippers for this moment in New Zealand's history almost uniquely. And that God's going to use the Equippers family to be the, a healing agent in the, the heartache of your country, but also in the purpose of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, asking a question, teacher, what should I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what's written in the law? What's your reading of it? And the man answered back, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo, that's right. Speaking of bingo, thank you for walking past the bingo room to get to church today. Sorry, I couldn't resist it. And Jesus said, you've done right, that's right. Do that and you will live. But the lawyer wanting to justify himself said this, and who is my neighbor? Uh, now we're going someplace because religion, lifeless religion, picks winners and losers and loves some and doesn't love others. And Jesus said this parable in verse 30, a certain man, a unknown man, we don't know his name, only his pain, went from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
So he's just going through life. He's going through the journeys of life. And he's going down. It's, it, it ends up being a geographically down journey, but it's also a personally down journey. He fell among thieves. So here's this poor man, and he's doing nothing bad. See, bad things happen to good people because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. And it's important that when someone's suffering, we never point our finger at them and tell them they must have deserved it. And so he fell among thieves who then did these three things. They stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him. It's the Greek word traumatizo. Trauma is a wound that doesn't heal. And then departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, there was a certain priest. We would say in our modern religious vernacular, here's a certain pastor who came down the road. And when he saw him, passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, a, a person of spiritual consequence, the ones in charge of the ark and the temple and the presence of God and someone engaged in the service of God, when he arrived at the place, looked at the man and passed by on the other side also. So both of those men, they weren't bad men. They just had bad beliefs that allowed them to have a biased prejudice towards someone who was hurting. And But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the hurting man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. So Jesus intentionally picks a Samaritan. Why? Because Samaritans were um, the objects of racism, both racial prejudice and religious prejudice because they were half Jewish and half Gentile, both by ethnicity and religion. So both of the communities, the Gentiles and the Jews, disqualified them, devalued them as human beings. And so Jesus picked someone who was oppressed or someone who was the object of scorn and racism as the hero of our story. And so Jesus said, here comes someone who knows what it's like to hurt. I found out that often the people that are, have hurt the greatest can be used to bring the greatest healing because they have an empathy and a sympathy and I, I, a way of identifying with hurting people. God will turn your pain around. God will use the thing the devil tried to destroy you with to help other people. But he had compassion on the man and he went to him. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine set him on his own animal, put him in his own car, brought him to church, took care of him. On the next day when he had to leave, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper. He, he took an offering on Sunday morning to send to people they, that are hurting just like you just did. He said to the innkeeper, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will, when I come back, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him that fell among thieves, Jesus said. And the man said, the one who showed mercy. We are never more like Jesus than when we love people. The one who showed mercy, Jesus said, go and 
show mercy. That's who you should be like. Lord, thank you for this beautiful church. My dear friends, the Monk family, thank you for all that you've done in Quippers and the earth. Thank you for what you're doing in this beautiful country. God, we lift up the whole country to you and declare, God, you are the healer of broken hearts. You are the healer of nations, of generations. And we believe, God, that something good is going to come out of this very bad thing. A national revival, a national awakening, a national healing, a national move of your spirit. That the greatest hour of New Zealand's spirituality is not in their past, it's in their future. The greatest move of God this nation has ever seen is about to happen. We believe, God, that your word says when the enemy comes in like a flood, you in that moment raise up a standard and chase him away. And we thank you in this moment. You're doing that very thing in this beautiful land. For that we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Jesus gave us a beautiful summation, really a theological, it's simple but profound. He said, if you want to know about the devil, here's what the devil is like. The thief, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, calling the devil a thief. Well, we had thieves in this story. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I've come to undo the pain the enemy caused. I've come to unravel the hearts bound by his wounds. I've come to restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. The devil is a thief, a liar, and a murderer. And we want to make sure that when things happen, we don't, don't, we don't look just demographically or racially or politically or generationally. We look spiritually and we understand that is an act of the devil, filling someone with murderous hate. And so we, we have authority as Christians to undo the damage the devil does, as Christ has done it in our life. God, I thank you that you're going to do something so phenomenal this next season. The three things that happened to, I just want to identify them real quickly. The first thing was they stripped, the thieves stripped this man. They took off his ward, his, his wardrobe, his clothing. He took off every, everything of value or consequence. Not just stripping things of value, but to cause shame and pain and to injure the man. And it really, that's a portrait of sin and Satan and brokenness in this world stealing our identity. And the Bible says this about our identity, that the Bible itself is not a book of behavior, it's a book of identity. We are who the Bible says we are. And so we look into the mirror of God's word and find out we're more than conquerors, that we're the children of God, that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we can do all things to him that strengthens us. We find out who we are in the Bible. The most important thing in life is what you believe about Jesus Christ. That is a common belief in every Christian church in the world. But I add a little second point. And I believe the second most important thing in life is what you believe about yourself. It's impossible to see life right when you see yourself wrong. And so when we're stripped, God's ready to heal your broken identity. And God's ready to show you who you really are. You're a history maker. You're a world changer. You're God's ambassador. You're God's child. You're here by purpose. The Bible says you're his workmanship, his one-of-a-kind original masterpiece. That's who you are to God. That's who you are in this lifetime. 
and the prodigal son came home, the first thing the father said, he raced down the hills in, in Luke 15 and kissed his brokenhearted son. He didn't condemn him for sin. He didn't accuse him of wasteful living. He kissed him with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And aren't you glad for the unconditional mercy and love of God? God will save anybody that comes to him. God will forgive anyone that asks for forgiveness. God loves all equally. There's no prejudice in God. He is a loving father. And so the prodigal son, after the kisses, the father turned to his servant and said, go home and get the best robe. I'm going to restore his identity. The prodigal son said, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, just making me a servant. The most damaging consequence of sin is lost identity. Sin turns sons and daughters into slaves. But when we come to the kingdom, God takes off our slavery robes and puts our son and daughter robes on. That we become princes and princesses to God. We become royalty. We're kings and priests, the Bible says. That's who we are. The second thing that happened is they, the Bible says when they stripped him, they wound, wounded him. I, I mentioned this, the Greek word traumatizo, a trauma, a wound that doesn't heal, a lingering, lasting, life-altering wound that, that tries to turn somebody into someone else. I know what it's like to go through the trauma. I know what it's like to have life try to shape me into someone else. My little granddaughter, London, she's so precocious. She's always just been so, I just love to walk with her and hear what she's going to say next. She says the f funniest things. But when she was about three and a half, we were watching a movie. I believe a, a, a great, I think it was Frozen. I think we were watching it for the 87th time. And we're watching it. She grabbed my cheeks and said, Papa, you're the funnest person in the whole world. That's going on my tombstone. Here lies the funnest person in the whole world and but my life wasn't always that way I had trauma come 25 years ago 24 years ago we were building a big church we had a big building up two-thirds up we had 4,000 people on Sundays we were building a 4,800 seat auditorium and our church treasurer a local businessman and banker embezzled all of our money 20 million dollars stole it all he went to jail we never got our money back we were in the front page headlines of the paper 10 times I had 15 attorneys, many lawsuits. I became brokenhearted. Our church grew from 4,000 to 120 or 30 people. My son became a drug addict. Everything, we lost our home, we were homeless. Everything possible that could go wrong happened. I became manically, clinically depressed. I knew I was depressed because I was finishing my PhD in psychology. I laid on my own couch and said, sir, you're very sick. And I said, I know. And it looked like at 37 years old, my life was over. But I didn't put one important equation into my formula, and that's Jesus. Jesus doesn't give up on people. Jesus doesn't throw people away. Jesus never leaves us. When people leave, Jesus stays. When people walk away, he stays with us. That's how good Jesus is. They wounded him. And I just want to say, Jesus in his first sermon at Luke 4 said this, the spirit of God's upon me to heal your wounds, to heal brokenhearted people, to set captives free, to open blind eyes. Jesus can heal your wounds. Jesus healed me from clinical depression. 
He taught me how to forgive my people. He said to me, Michael, if you forgive the people that hurt you, I'll make you forget the pain they've caused you. I did the forgiving and he did the forgetting. He kept his word to me. He's given me joy. My grandchildren only know a happy man. I should be depressed. I should be addicted to something. I should be out of the ministry. But Jesus healed me. And he could heal anyone in this room, anyone in this country. Then the Bible says, describing the, con the, the conclusion of their treatment, the thieves then left him, departed, leaving him half dead. Half dead people are people that are here physically, but not emotionally, mentally. They're just going through the motions of life because they're, they're so wounded and they're hurting. Half dead people speaks to people that don't know Christ yet, their spirit unborn. Not knowing what it is to have the forgiveness of sins, new life, being born again. Aren't you glad that we're alive now? My adult kids, a couple of my sons love the American show, The Walking Dead. I could handle about one episode of it without having nightmares, you know. There's scary stuff, people that are, that are alive but not really. And, and all around us there are walking dead people. And I pray today for anyone that's here that's hurting. I just want you to know Jesus Christ can heal you. Jesus Christ can heal you. So what happened next was this, this Jesus said to, to a, a priest and then a Levite came. And I, I just want to say this about religion. Religion without love empowers people to be harsh, hurtful, and hating. Some of the most hateful people I've known have been religious people who justify their behavior by their theology. We never want to use the Bible to hurt people, especially to exclude them, devalue them, dehumanize them. And that's what religion can do. But man, equippers, what a healing agent this is to your country. Jesus said, here comes the Samaritan. Here comes the, 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 the one that no one appreciates, that everyone has a bias about. Here comes the Samaritan. And when he saw the man, the Jesus said he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. The Lord showed me that the equippers' churches are agents of compassion already in place. Spiritual hospitals set up almost in every city of this beautiful country. And now is your time for the greatest harvest of miracles, signs, and wonders and souls you've ever seen. Because God's going to use equippers to heal this country. I know there's some great churches here that also are greatly involved in social causes. I was with Pastor Paul at Life Church and then the, this Pastor Dean at C3 and Martin Harvest, um, Harbor, Harborside and uh, Pastor uh, Peter at uh, 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 City Impact. It seems like everybody I know in this country is doing something powerful to make a difference in the culture, in the generation, in the hurting. Man, you, you are modeling the kingdom better than almost any place in the world. You're doing it right. And so your agents of compassion, you belong to a church, and I especially like, I, 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 I wanted to say this delicately, but I, I love how even in your senior leadership with Pastor Sam and Kathy, there's, there's two nations that have come together. There's international joining. There's a proof of what the kingdom of God's like, that nations can celebrate Jesus together, that we can walk in harmony together.
And so this is an international church. This is a multicultural church. This is a multi-generational church. And this is a compassionate church. And Equippers Church is Jesus walking with compassion in your nation. Keep it up, you guys. You're going to see more miracles, signs, and wonders. Compassion. So, so what did he do? He, he went to the man. Compassion is God's love in action. Don't tell me you love me and do nothing when I'm hurting. Compassion does something. Compassion sees when someone's in pain. Compassion feels when someone's in pain. Compassion acts when someone's in pain. Compassion heals when someone's in pain. Compassion unlocks miracles, signs, and wonders. Compassion transforms people, places, and culture. In Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel's a great book. It begins by Ezekiel having this incredible vision of heaven. Indescribable beauties, colors, rainbows, wheels within wheels. He's trying to give a vocabulary to really just the majestic beauty of heaven. And, and, and God puts into Ezekiel a fire to preach repentance to a backslidden nation. And Ezekiel says, I'm ready to go get him, God. Let's go preach to those rotten sinners. And God says, one more thing, Ezekiel. And he lifts him up and takes him to the river Shabar. And there he puts him down in the middle of the refugees. And here's what Ezekiel says, when I sat where they sat, I was in astonishment of spirit for seven days. When I felt the brokenness of the people I was called to reach, it broke my heart. It tempered my spirit. Because you can't really help someone until you identify with someone. Until you relate to them, until they feel care. Don't tell me what you know until you show me that you care. We're not, we're not, God's not anointed us in the church just to be shouters of information. He's anointed us to show so much love. They listen to our story because they receive our love. God's love, that, that's what compassion is. In the ministry of Jesus, the Bible says often in the book of Psalms, God's full of compassion. He never runs dry. Lamentation says your mercies are new every morning. Your, your compassions fail not. They're new, they're brand new. Every day, love is ready for our lives. But the ministry of Christ, I just want to close about with this idea. I found seven different times in the Gospels where Jesus was, it, it says this, moved with compassion. He was preaching one time and saw a great multitude. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion and healed every sick person there. Compassion is the key that unlocks the supernatural ministry of the kingdom of God. If you want miracles, fill your heart with love. If you want miracles, signs, and wonders, fill your heart with God's love for people. Jesus was preaching one day and two blind men approached him and, and said, please help us. And Jesus, when he saw them, the Bible says, had compassion on them and healed them. It seemed like in the ministry of Jesus that he was motivated he was he was led by the radar unit of compassion and and wherever compassion loved him there was a miraculous outcome oh god use this for miracles let love lead you this week into a miracle in someone's life forgive us for being hard-hearted or indifferent forgive us for thinking differently forgive us for any bias we've had against muslim people Give us love for Muslim people. 
so that we do not contribute to their pain. A leper came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, in Mark chapter 1, you could heal me. And the Bible said, Jesus had compassion on him and said, I am willing. Oh, love is always willing to heal. God's always ready to heal. When we walk in love, we're always ready to be used to heal. God help us to have that kind of love. Jesus, the Bible says when he healed the demoniac of the gatherings in Mark chapter 5, he said to the man after he was healed, go tell everyone how God has had compassion on you. And Jesus said, Give, gave us the reasoning, the motivation behind the whole healing of that man. Love healed a man possessed with evil spirits out of his mind. Love did that. When Jesus was in, in, in Mark chapter, excuse me, Luke, uh, yeah, Mark chapter 6, Jesus was preaching 5,000 people. Men showed up, probably 20, 15,000 people were there. And, 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 and he preached so long that they hadn't prepared for lunch or dinner. And the disciples said, man, it's late, send them home. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. And the Bible says, being moved with compassion, he taught them and he fed them. And he took a boy's lunch and multiplied it and fed 20,000 people. What does compassion do? It, it unlocks the supernatural. What was the key to the miracle of Christ? He was moved by compassion. The same thing in, in Mark chapter 8. He fed 4,000 when he was moved with compassion. One day he was watching in the middle of the street a funeral procession walked by. And he looked at the mother, the widow of Nain. And, and she had already lost the husband. Now she lost her only son. And when Jesus saw her, the Bible says he was moved with compassion for her. He stopped the funeral service. Walked up to the open coffin. Reached in and touched the boy and said, come back. Oh, my wife calls me Lazarus. I'm the comeback guy. Because someone reached into my coffin. Said, Michael, I'm not done with your story. I'm not done with your story. This, tomorrow we, we, we have a church in 18 campuses. We have a 2400 set auditorium. God gave us for free. Everything you lost, God gave me back. Compassion did all that. Now we have a ministry to hurting people. Why? God took the worst thing that happened to me and became, to make it become the best thing he does through me. 100 nationalities in our church, every Sunday 100 people come to Christ, 1,000. I can't believe what's happening in our church. All because God never stopped loving me. And when I came out of my storm, God gave me so much love for hurting people. God's using Equippers Church in a unique way. The last thought is this, when, when the man was... The Samaritan found the man, he, he, he bandaged him, he stopped the bleeding. It, it, it's important, before we preach the gospel to people, I, I, I believe in preaching the gospel. But it's hard to hear about Jesus when you're bleeding, when you're hurting, when your heart's broken or your life's traumatized. Sometimes you just got to stop the bleeding, sometimes you just got to bandage the hurt before you share the word. Meet them where they hurt. Meet them in their need. Meet them in their pain. And then the Bible says this. The, the, the imagery here is so powerful. It, the Bible says he poured on him oil and wine. Of course, both those things have significant spiritual context for us. Oil means the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah 10 says, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. There's no mental illness here. There's no physical infirmity here. There's no devastation in your family. And there's no heartache in this nation that the anointing of the Holy Spirit cannot heal. So it's not just that Equippers Church is beautifully positioned in social action, caring for people, families, and, and, and single mothers, and, and hurting children. All of you are doing wonderful stuff. You have that plus the anointing, compassion plus power. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, Peter's preaching and he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who then went about doing good, healing all, healing all, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's a picture of Equipper's ministry. God's using you to heal no matter what you face. If it's a devil, you're going to cast it out. If it's a heartbreak, you're going to heal. If it's, if it's a financial need, you're going to help it. Whatever it is, God's anointed this church ministry to transform this culture. You are the good Samaritan of New Zealand. I just want to encourage you, stay engaged, stay involved. Don't let the devil discourage you. Don't let the devil uh, awaken any kind of hostility. God answers hatred with love. And in the kingdom of God, love always wins. When we walk by love, we never lose a battle, when we engage in God's love, we never lose a conflict. Love never fails, the Bible says. It never fails. He poured in the wine. Wine is a, a portrait of new life, of the Holy Spirit. How many of you Christians are grateful that you have new life? Oh, Jesus, thank you for the new life for New Zealand. Thank you for the greatest harvest of souls coming to Christ. Tasting the wine of the Spirit. Tasting the joy, the goodness, the forgiveness. of. To, to, let me just remind you, your, your worst day as a Christian is better than your best day as an unbeliever. That every day you have the wine of heaven. You have the new life of Jesus. And so as followers of Christ, we are carrying these graces of oil of wine, of compassion, and, and Jesus says, just, you don't have to go looking for a ministry. Oh, Pastor, I want to be in the ministry. Then find someone who's hurting. The ministry isn't a pulpit, it's people. Oh, I want to be on the stage. You don't need to be on the stage if you still want to be there. Just find people that are hurting, and eventually you'll help so many of them, they'll push you on the stage. Find Someone who's hurting. I tell people, I have a ministry for, for hurting people. I'll let the other churches take care of the other 2%. Everybody's hurting somewhere in their life. No matter how they hide it, disguise it. Everyone has a battle in their life. And God's using equippers. I am so honored, humbled, and grateful that God has introduced me to the Monk family and to the incredible ministry they birthed in the earth called equippers. Your best days, your most important days are now. That countries needed you, never needed you like now. No matter what they say, and there'll be a lot of political activity and, and commentary. Just let everyone talk. Just know this. There's no agent of healing more powerful than the gospel of Christ. There's no agent of healing more powerful than the compassion of Christ. There's no agent of healing more powerful than the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have what the nation needs. 
God's going to use you to make a difference in the life of so many people. I pray in every city, I pray in every campus, every equipper's campus, that there would be a stirring and awakening, that there would be inside of your heart a knowing that for such a time as this, God's raised you up. That God's going to use this story of this church, the story of your life, the story of your own difficulties and pain. When I was 37, I thought my life was over. And I could not imagine how God could make something so bad ever become good. I preached. I'd already preached in five continents the goodness of God. And in my heart, I thought, there's no way, God, you can make this good. But I didn't know God then like I know God now. I knew him up here. Now I know him down here. If it's not good yet, here's the Bible says, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, called by his purpose. So here's what I say. If it's not good yet, it just means God's not done yet. Don't quit before the good stuff comes. Give God the chance to write a good ending to your story. He will. He will. Why? He's good. He can't help himself. Oh, God, thank you for what you're doing. We pray for the brokenhearted people that lost family members in Christ church. We speak life and healing to them. We speak grace over that city and over the whole nation. We ask you to perform medical miracles for those that are in critical condition hospital. We send your healing word. And we rebuke any more death in Christ's name. And we declare, God, that in the Muslim community, that they will not harden their hearts toward Christ and toward the gospel of Christ. That you will use this horrific tragedy to do something good in their own story. Why? Because you're so good. Use us, God, to engage purposely people that are hurting. Use us, God, when we see someone or know someone who's of the Muslim faith. Use us, God, not to walk on the other side of the street, but to be their friends. To engage them, to love them, to show them Heaven's love. We have love. There's no other belief system. There's no other religion. There's no other spirituality like what we have. We have the atomic weapon of heaven called love. It's real. It transforms hearts. God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. God is love, First John says. God help us to love so, so consistently. Help us to love so passionately. Help us to love God so unconditionally. Help us to love people that don't look like us. Help us old people to love the young people. Help the young people to tolerate and love us old people. Help us to love people that of different colors and ethnicity. Help us, God, to show your love just like you're doing here. Come on, just lift up your hands, what you hear and, and the campuses that and would you just ask in this moment, God, I, as we pray for the nation, let's change begins with us. We are the agents of change. We are the history makers. We are the world shakers. We are the people capable of making a difference. God, fill us with your love. Fill us with an ocean of love. I woke up this morning, the first, my first prayer every single morning is, Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. Your joy, your peace, your kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, patience. I need love. I need love. 
no matter how much truth I share today, if it doesn't flow from love, it's nothing. No matter how much anointing I carry, if it's not saturated in love, it's nothing. No matter how much prophetic revelation I may see, if it's not born out of love, it's empty and hollow, shallow, and meaningless to God. Fill us with love, God. I pray in Jesus' name.